You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Kelly Henderson, and you are listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast. My guest this week is Biet Simkin. Biet is a world-renowned meditation leader dubbed the David Bowie of meditation. As a musician, Biet combines the world of pop culture and spirituality, teaching practical applications of ancient spiritual wisdom. The teachings are all featured in Biet's best-selling book, Don't Just Sit There, as well as her countless workshops that have helped thousands. However, her journey has not always been easy. Biet has lost almost her entire family, including a four-month-old daughter, to SIDS. She has had a record deal and lost a record deal, as well as battling back from a heroin and cocaine addiction. She told me her story of love and loss, how she navigates grief daily, and how she opened her heart back up to find and give the most love she has ever experienced in her journey of enlightenment. Here's our conversation. So I was just kind of explaining to you that I want to tell the part of your story, um, just where you started, because I think that's such an important part of how you got to the place you are now. I have not met one deeply spiritual person who has not struggled immensely or faced, you know, some major trials in their life to get to where they got now. So can we go back and maybe just talk through um, your story and where you started? I know you grew up with a father who was a shaman, and I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> so <laughs> what was that like? What was your experience like as a child? You know, it was it was mixed in, in the sense that my father was this awakened shaman. So it was kind of like growing up with Eckhart Tolle in your house mm-hmm. as your only parent um, because as I was growing up, we, you know, my whole family started passing away, starting with my mom who died when I was six. And I mean, for anyone who's listening, losing a parent is like mm. at, at the age of six is total insanity. Yeah. And I can't, I can't imagine it now, but I've lived a whole life where I kind of was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I'm very rock and roll. You know, I got signed to Sony at 18. So I wear leather jackets and I just have this whole like, 
F you attitude about reality. Right. So it, I don't think it hit me for a very long time that I'd lost my mom at the age of six because I was so busy being fine. Right. <laughs> but um, but she died and then my my grandma died two weeks later, her mom. And, and it's not like I'm mm. Russian, uh, first generation Russian Jew. And so like we weren't like grandmas weren't in Florida. Like our grandmas were like across the street in another, right. you know, cracked out part of Queens, like across the street. So they great, they raised us. And so they just all died while I was growing up. And what I was left with was this shaman father who was like, everything was about enlightenment. Like I'd be like, dad, I don't like the kids at school. And he'd be like, but these, they're really children or is it the matrix? You know, like he would just, <laughs> he took it there yeah. all the time. And, and it was really relieving. And I think like my whole life, I worshiped him. And I, I really felt like I was so blessed to have this crazy, you know, radical life. Um, but it was after I got sober, which was 12 years ago, that I really had to confront how incredibly unstable and wild my childhood was and how unusual it was. Like I had always prided myself on it because I was in that leather jacket mode. Right. Yeah. And so now it's more like, oh, wow, that was Right. Well, I think when I was reading, that was exactly my thought process because I, I hear you when you say, you know, it was super cool and it was so refreshing, but I think of myself as a child and especially when you're processing through major feelings, like I can imagine losing your mom at six would just bring up incredible feelings that you didn't even know how to address. And so when your dad is like, Oh, but is this about the matrix? Like to me, I almost wonder if that would piss me off. Do you know what I mean? Like not really knowing where to direct all of the feelings that I was feeling. Oh, I just shut them off. Okay. I didn't, I stopped feeling pretty yeah. like I turned into like a full on, um, you know, like I'm an artist. And so like, obviously I know how to feel because if anyone who makes music or paintings, you know, and I make music, like you just, you you're someone who processes feelings through right. your body you're like a conduit but when it came to just feeling feeling like crying or like feeling sad or being angry that was like not on the plate you it was just, didn't just do like it. off the menu no i would well i cried sometimes but overall like i was kind of like zip it up pull it together keep moving you know because yeah. none of this is real and I was always, in, you know, I have the gift. Like a lot of people learn what I learned as a child at the age of 40 or whatever when they have like a midlife crisis. Like, and they're like, what's the meaning of it all? I'm going to die one day. I already did all that. Wow. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm figuring out the other stuff in my 30s, like how to build a business, how to become wealthy, how to like, you know, fucking straighten my hair. Like <laughs> I just learned that shit way later. <laughs> So you were spiritually ahead of all of us and maybe learning some of the basic life skills now. Yes, yes. Interesting. Sure. It's so crazy. So you mentioned getting sober 12 years ago. Do you feel like the stuffing of the emotions that you keep mentioning was a piece of what led you into drug addiction? I, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, it's lots of trauma. And I'm also like a wild uh, seeker. And I, mm. I think... A lot of people listening can probably relate to this, like this yearning, like, you know, something's missing and you're like willing to go to any lengths to find it. Mm -hmm. I was like that, except I wasn't really willing to do the work. I was very, very lazy and also very afraid. And that combo of lazy and afraid, it's like if you're lazy and afraid, but super willing to find the meaning of life, guess what you're going to do? like drugs, right? Because it's like, oh, yeah. you know, there's no effort required. Like there's no hours of hypnosis or like 
70, you know, hours of, you know, Hatha yoga or standing on your head, nothing. You just have to pop something in your mouth. And next thing you know, you're like awake, you're an awakened guru, you know, for five hours. Wow. I never thought about it that way. So you, you specific, I mean, it was very hardcore drug addiction to heroin and cocaine, right? Like it wasn't just something small. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, heroin and cocaine was my favorite. Flavor yeah, you didn't mess around. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> what did that part of your life look like? Was it, I was watching something on your website and you said one of the main, I think it was your website. It was somewhere when I was reading about you, but you said one of the main people who helped you was a spiritual teacher who told you straight up you're a junkie and you didn't yeah. even have the awareness that that was a thing for you. Like she said to you something like, or you said, doesn't everyone just do cocaine every day? And she was like, uh, no. So what was, <laughs> what was that experience like? Um, yeah. So like my father was this fourth way master, which is the work that I followed him in. And my book is a fourth way book, like really simple fourth way book in the sense that all other fourth way books ever written before it. If you were to try to read them, they're like equivalent to reading a language you've never read before. Do you know what I mean like Chinese or yeah. whatever? Well, I don't like even know what fourth way like, what? is. What does that mean? So fourth way is a lineage of enlightenment based in the real world. So it's enlightenment for people who are interested in buying real estate, um, okay. looking really hot into their 60s, 70s, like buying, you know what I mean? Like wearing beautiful clothes, uh, becoming famous, getting married, having kids. So those are all things that are generally not related to enlightenment. If you think right. about enlightenment, you think of like a monk or someone mm -hmm. who's given up their belongings, no longer cares about how hot their ass looks. They're just <laughs> beyond and above that, you know. And uh, fourth way is actually saying like you can actually find enlightenment while becoming a president or while be like winning a Grammy. Um, and so those, that's what fourth way is. Okay, that's way. really yeah. interesting to me because I, I definitely feel like I vacillate between the two. It's it's like, I never have thought about that process. So I'll have to look into it. Okay. Continue though. <laughs> so he was this fourth way master. What was I answering? I, um, I asked you about your, the part of your life where you were living in your addiction and what that looked like. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So I was just pursuing, I was pursuing the hotness of life. You know, yeah. I cared deeply about fame and money, prestige. I was a DJ. I was always hanging out with celebrities. And, you know, it became very shallow and empty in the sense that I wanted something, but it, it, I wasn't quite putting the pieces together. Oh, yeah, mm. you asked me about the spiritual teacher saying that I'm a junkie. But yeah. that's the thing. It's like I was snorting lines of cocaine off of toilets with A-list celebrities. Right. And so in my right. mind, I'm like, I've arrived. Mm. And, in, and, and anyone who's sane or sober or even remotely normal knows that snorting lines off of a toilet is not an arrival of any kind. And that right. this person, <laughs> whoever they were, and I'll leave them anonymous, was, you know, not going to fucking sign me <laughs> at right. that moment. You know, they weren't going to be like, you know what? You are the next big act. Like they were just like, oh, Coke, you know what right. I mean? So just um, looking yeah, to so party. Yeah, I was looking to party, but I also like I was that Yoda character. You know, I, if anyone is a partier who's listening to this podcast, it's like I was that person at 5 a.m. who was like talking about non-duality and the meaning mm. of existence. And and that person that half the people in the room were like, F that bitch, she's so out there. But the other <laughs> half were like, 
circled around me as if I was like some kind of shamaness with a campfire in front of me, you know, because I really, (laughs) you know, I had a power, you know, that now I'm like, okay, bitches, you're going to pay me money for this. But back then I was like, oh, it's seven in the morning. Let me tell you the meaning of life. Yeah. So what did you do when the lady says to you, you're a junkie? Um, I was in shock because I was really like, no, I don't think so. And my worldview was just, if you had had a life as painful as mine and you were as poor as me and you were, um, and I'm sorry, that's where I, that's where I deviated. My father was a fourth way master. This woman was introduced to me because of, of, there was hundreds of followers of my father's work collected money because I was so poor and a heroin addict (laughs) collected money so that I could get healing, uh, after Mm. he died. And I was not sober yet. This woman was not sober. She was just trying to help me, you know. And uh, because this hundreds of people had collected money to pay for this to happen so I could have some support. Because otherwise I would have been like in the street basically. And she was like, you're a junkie. And then she said something really interesting. Like she was like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And at that point I was 29. So I would have been like 40, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, married with kids, right. with a really fantastic career and like wealthy. And she was like, how do you see that happening? And I was like, um, wait, what? And I was like, wait, are you saying that if I just keep doing heroin every day, like at 40, my life will be basically exactly the same, but I'll be 40. And she was like, yeah, <laughs> like she just did, she was like doing the math in her mind and I was doing the math in mine. And at that moment, I was like, that's not what I want to do at 40. <laughs> yeah. And I just made a different choice at that moment. And it was so um, incredibly easy. It was easier than any choice I've made in my life, like in the sense that I've had struggles. I've struggled with body dysmorphia, you know, food crap I've studied with poverty to wealth. I've struggled with bad men. I've done it all. And that's why I feel like I can help people with all of those things. But the transformation, it was like, boom, I kicked heroin in two days. I was actually, that's a question I have for later for you, but uh, I'll just get to it now. But do you feel like um, this was a journey of getting to like a spiritual awakening for you? Or was it just like this moment that you knew life needed to change? How do you mean? Like, was that the moment when that lady says to you, you're a junkie and you're faced with yourself? Was it just a, like you said, a, it just was an easy fix and an easy switch? Or was it more of a process of an awakening? It was a really long process. Okay. But I also I used to believe enlightenment was like this final moment right. where like right. all of a sudden I was going to be lifted into the heavens and then I could be better than all of you. And I could like come down from the holy high mountain like Moses and like give you the commandments like I just had all these crazy ideas and what I've realized after white light experience after white light experience after white light experience is that enlightenment is is not a one and done deal it's a process of understanding that enlightenment is a totality of your living it's Mm. not like okay finally if I just get this right guys Um, then I'll finally stop incarnating as a fucking human. And then I can just go like pussyless and mouthless, never eat, never fuck again, never have to deal with the pain of death. And I'll be free from this karma. And to me, how is that any different from like the whole Catholic dogma, which is like one day when you die, then Christ will like give you, you know, a birthday cake or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, I don't want to wait. Like I want it now. If enlightenment's now, then that means sometimes enlightenment looks like me being like, ah, because my kid just like wrote with marker on the wall. You know what I mean? 
I don't explain that more to me. That one went over my head. Well, the idea is like enlightenment. Okay, so my friend Arjuna has this whole wheel, and he he talks about how people think enlightenment is this one thing. You you get it, and then you're struck enlightened, and then you just walk around with a robe, and you're like, I don't have problems. Right? Yes. So, yes. and I'm saying that's not true. And his little wheel, I think, really depicts the process very well. So enlightenment is like a shock where you feel like an aha moment, where you're clear about the meaning of existence, you're filled with love and a state of complete forgiveness and peace. And then that moment passes. (laughs) For anyone listening who's like, I've had that. It's like, it passes. And then it turns into creative flow. And creative flow is like a place where you're tasked with effort. So most people don't want enlightenment because enlightenment means responsibility to what that creative flow instructs you to do. So maybe that creative flow will say, you're actually a painter. Or maybe they'll say, oh, you're a spiritual teacher. Or to you, they probably said, oh, now you have to like run a podcast, which I'm sure like any task that we're given, we have resistance towards. We're like, oh, podcast, like I have to record it. And then I have to like, you know, film things and there's a photo shoots and oh, like, star reviews on iTunes, like, no, 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 no. And so there's this resistance, but we do it if we're willing. That's enlightenment is someone who's willing to go with the flow of this cycle. Okay. So the creative flow then is followed by achievement and achievement is like spreadsheets, cold calls, emails, and shit you really don't want to do like marketing, you know? And no one thinks that that is enlightenment because again, it's like they just think, oh, it's like miraculous. Eckhart Tolle just happens to be the most famous spiritual teacher in the world. Like, I, I guarantee you there's someone as enlightened as Eckhart Tolle, like hiding in Brooklyn, who no one's ever heard of. Right. And, and the reason for that is because that person is really interested in one part of that wheel. They're not interested in the whole wheel. They just want to sit there and be enlightened, right? But for the rest of us who are like, okay, what's this other stuff about? How, what's this creative flow part? What's this achievement shit? And then the next part after achievement is you hit a wall. For anyone who's ever tried to do anything in life, you know you hit a wall. Like you get rejected, you lose that opportunity, you get a pimple on the day of the photo shoot, you're bloated, whatever it is, like things go awry. And it could be even bigger. Someone dies, your house burns down, whatever, right? And then you are hit with complete recognition that you of yourself are nothing and you're a useless, worthless piece of crap, so to speak. That's kind of the feeling. Like when you get punched in the gut and you're like rocky on the floor and Mm -hmm. you're covered in blood. And then that leads to what is called humility. And humility is like the fourth part of the enlightenment quadrants. And humility is when you're struck to your knees and you just basically, I pray, But you say, like, I can't do this, like, please, something, whatever it is, please help me. And then you feel like, I can't do this. And that's when enlightenment comes back again. Uh. And so then we go again. (laughs) And enlightenment is followed by creative flow. And creative flow is followed by achievement. And achievement is followed by humility. And if you can get with that program, then you're no longer going to be this victim of, like, what's this spreadsheet bullshit? I'm supposed to be a latent guru sitting on top of a mountain, you know? Yeah. You know, as I'm listening to you talking, I'm sitting here going, well, this is no mistake that this is the podcast that I had booked today because this is exactly summing up where I am in my life. And I think that if I would guess correctly or just take a hunch that a lot of people are feeling that this year specifically, you know, I think 2020 has been such a year collectively of loss, of change, of shifting. And I know I personally have been struggling with 
what is my purpose? You know, like, because nothing is as it was. And it feels like I keep bumping up against that thing you're talking about where it's just, you hit the wall and it's not working or there's something that needs to shift. And um, I can get, I can find, I seem to get really stuck in the like, why is this happening? The pain of whatever the loss is, the grief around that versus like, the mentality that I hear in your voice, which is like, okay, this is happening. What is the universe opening up? Or, you know, like just to get back to the enlightenment, maybe like I get a little stuck. Have you ever felt like that? Oh yeah, of course. I think it's a process like patience and understanding that time makes no mistakes. It is a process of learning, right? So we could never learn it. Of course, if we keep looking at life's difficulties as like the universe's or God's efforts to block us, yeah, you know, yeah. then of course we're just going to get more and more bitter, which is something you see quite often in people who are elderly is a massive amount of bitterness because you can imagine if you've experienced rejection once, if you're 90 years old, you've experienced it a lot right. more times than that. And if every time you experience rejection or loss or disappointment or boredom or whatever, you make it mean that, you're a failure, you're a loser, mm-hmm. and that something that like malevolent is literally working against you, instead of asking the question of how is this here to serve me? And how mm. can I utilize this opportunity as a means of growing my patience even more and trusting in the flow of time even more? Well, so when you say that, that is where I want to get. But I have a question because, you know, when I was thinking about what I've been feeling. This was even yesterday, actually. Um, I thought, you know, I'm just tired. Like, I'm just tired. I feel like I've been doing the process, doing the work, doing all these things, and I keep hitting walls. And a friend said to me last night something about, um, they talk about, like, when you're living in your purpose, things flow a little bit easier versus when you're trying to force things to work and you keep bumping up against the walls. And you mentioned your dad passing away as well. And there was so much loss in your life and we haven't even talked about all of it yet. But was there ever a moment that you thought to yourself, I can't do this again or like, fuck this. Like, why would I keep bumping up against this same thing of loss in my life? You know, yes. And and I don't think it's going away. You know, like I may not be in that right now as we're sitting here speaking with one another, Uh but I know that that feeling is coming again. And that feeling comes for me as someone who's in this wheel of enlightenment. I have to hit humility every so often, right? It's Mm. just not, it's non-negotiable. And rather than seeing that hit when I get hit and I'm rocky and I'm down on the ground. For me, it's it can be depression. Mm-hmm. It can be not being able to feel an emotion because I spent my whole life blocking emotions. And so it's very hard for me sometimes to tap into what I'm feeling. Um, sometimes it can be disappointment or like I get a little bitchy when someone doesn't email me back right away, something yeah. like that. But it's like whatever it is that's coming up for me that day, like I'm not denying that it's coming anymore. However, I'm understanding that these are the things that bring me to my needs. And so I'm in a Mm. state of awe and gratitude for the things that weaken me. I've I've got my Achilles heels. And if we talk about body types, different people are bothered by different things. Some of them are like me and they're vain and power hungry. 
And those are the things that are going to bring them down. Other people are more dominant and they just want to be on top of everything and control everything. They're going to be brought down by that. Some people are more like they, they you know, want everyone to like them, you know, people pleasing, right? Yeah, so yeah. everyone's got their own major key weaknesses. Now, of course, we have all of them on some level, but there's going to be some that are like Herculean, like all of a sudden it hits you and you're like, you know (laughs) yeah i cannot take this anymore and those are the words that i use i cannot take this anymore it's almost like i put my hand over my head and i'm like i just can't take this anymore this planet and then i remember it's like yet you chose this planet you chose a planet that is versatile and changing and risky and crazy and fucked up you chose it you didn't come here randomly you're not some little first timer daisy paisy who's like oh no you know it's like you've been in wars you've killed you've been killed like this is not new to you yeah yeah i do so when you are in um this peaceful place that i hear for you like do you have you ever do you have those moments where you look at someone else and kind of when i was listening to you talk about you were like you have to hit the humility I am certain this is not true, but my brain wants to tell me that not that does not happen for everyone. And I want to know, I have two questions to this. What happens if we don't hit the place of humility would be the first question. And then the second question is that, that do you feel like certain people can kind of deny that place and just keep the train moving? Yeah. Um, I think not being able to hit humility is the biggest tragedy of anyone's life. Why do you say that? Because, like, I have friends who are pretty much alcoholics, who drink too much, their lives are a mess. They have all the isms that I had when I was in my using and drinking days. But their life just never got fucked up enough, or they don't see it that way, so that they've never made a change. And so that as they get older, everything stays exactly the same Mm. for them. And so to me, like, that's a huge tragedy. Like, I'm just so grateful that I was graced with the ability to see my powerlessness, to see that I cannot do this and to humbly fall onto my knees and seek something that is invisible and unprovable. And then the second question about are there people who can just power through? Yeah, I get I guess so. But I don't envy them because to me. That just seems like a spiritual bypass. And I, you see a lot of that on Instagram these days. Right. People constantly like proselytizing these in like you have to be in this amazing mood and just go work out and power through. And I actually found that all that stuff is like it's true. Like I do really work out every day. But when I was trying to do it from a place of self-improvement or like fixing something, it didn't work all the time. Cause sometimes I would just like be like, I just can't do it. Oh right. God. You know what I mean? Like I just can't make myself any better. Like right. I'm done, you know? But, and that's like, I love that you brought up social media. Cause that's one of the biggest things I say is those aren't the moments that we're posting about on social media. That moment you just talked about. It's the, when you do go work out and when you do are doing all the striving. And so it gets confusing. It looks like someone else's reality just looks so different from what I'm experiencing. And you start to do the, you know, the comparing the insides and the outsides. And for me, sometimes that's a huge spiritual block because then I start to find myself getting super pissed off at the universe or God or whatever you want to call your higher power. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that's normal. And again, for certain types, it's going to be a bigger weakness. And I've experienced quite a bit of that in my life. One of the tools that I use with envy 
mm-hmm. is to say, oh, I had a mantra for envy. Hold on, let me see. It's in my notes. Do I have a second? To sure, just of course. Find it? My envy mantra. We always go, do, 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 which is actually really sad because this, uh, we lost Alex Trebek. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. What, what a hottie, though. Can you talk? Can we just talk about how? What a maintained um, bod and like face that guy looks Silver like. Silver Fox, for died. sure. Yes, it's incredible. Okay, here's my here's my mantra. Okay, okay. what? And I I was use the word God, even though I'm not religious specifically, but I very much am one with this power. No mm-hmm. doubts about this power. So I say, what God has done for others, He now does for me and more. Mm. And then I say, thou art all fair, my love, uh, for God call on, uh, for God calleth on the seen and unseen. Mm, I love that. Uh, all is fair, my love, because that's one of the biggest things that goes into my head is the justice piece of this just isn't fair. <laughs> I have such a heart. That is one of my Achilles heels for sure. Yeah, that, pr- that prayer has helped me. For yeah. Sure. yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I get it. And yeah. you've got that. I think you've got that Saturn vibe. If we went more, we're not going to go into the whole body type <laughs> stuff here. But I just the Saturns, you know, that's it's all about righteous anger. Right. For yes. They're like, that's not right. That's yes. not, as if the universe is right. That's clearly not what they were setting up here. Right. Do you know what I mean, if it was I right, do. then the last four years would not have happened. Never. Exactly. <laughs> If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code VELVETSEDGE at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Let's talk a little bit about how, because we mentioned your father passed away, and then the part that we haven't talked about yet is that you lost a child. Um, You lost a child at four months old to SIDS, 
which I cannot even comprehend what that would feel like. Can you talk us through that part of your story a little bit? You know, I was at a point in my life where I was so lost um, and I was dry. Uh, for anyone who knows anything about alcoholism and sobriety, like I was dry. So dry means you're not using, but you're like miserable. Yeah. But I was, um, I was a mom and I was 26 years old and I had this beautiful baby who I was very in love with. And I had this partner who was sort of a boyfriend and he like brought, he was the baby daddy and he brought Ula to me dead. And he said, she's not breathing. Mm. And I tried to give her CPR. And then my father who lived with us at the time, he was still alive because there was a sequence of events that I believe were the universe's way of waking me up. Um, and for anyone who's struggling right now or even experiencing difficulties, just remember like, Difficulties are the way that the whispers of the universe are, are trying to awaken you. So the difference between an enlightened man and a non-enlightened man is just that enlightenment says, I'm listening to the whisper and I'll do whatever you say. And mm. I was at a point when I was just like two fuck you fingers in the air and being yeah. like, no one tells me what to do, not yeah. even this. And when she died, I went and picked up an entire like a hundred bucks worth of heroin. And that was the beginning of so much it just got worse and worse. And then after that, my house burnt down and my best friend hung himself. And then my oh dad my died God. of a heart attack all within like two years. Oh, my God. I, like when yeah. I hear that, I go, how are you still standing? Honestly, I don't. I think it was like the back then what kept me alive was the drug. Yeah. And then for many years, it was like a blend of spirit. Like I really have a spiritual foundation that is mm -hmm. very, very rich. But then it was that leather jacket kept me alive for many years. Today, I'm fully naked. Like, I share openly. I was just doing a podcast the other day, and this woman, this beautiful woman that was interviewing me was, like, talking about how much she loves my music. And I've always been very afraid about my music, very shy, very, like, oh, no, like, don't judge me, you know? And I just share about all of it now. Like, none of it's a secret, and that's something that's very different about where I am today. So that's what keeps me alive today is zero secrets. But what kept me alive for the longest time was just a leather jacket and like being like, I don't feel anything. So go fuck yourself, you know? Right. What I hear so much in that is that you're truly allowing yourself to be seen, which is such um, an enlightened way to live to me, to just allow ourselves to be seen. I think that's so much more difficult for me, it has been at least the journey of fully being myself and opening myself up to that vulnerability of someone seeing all of me in a true way. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. So after you have all of this loss and specifically just loss of your family, um, I was reading something on your Instagram and you said, you said you talked about like the loss and then you said losing most of your family growing up and what that taught you was not to stop loving, but to instead love more. So how do you convince yourself to take the risk of loving again after so much loss? Like, how do you not just completely shut your heart down? I think what I've melted into and come into being with is that there's no difference between loss and, and having and loving. You know? How do you mean? I mean we can't. Well, they are one. They, they cannot be separate in the sense that on this planet, in the world of duality, which is where we live, we're not all tripping on MDMA all day long. We're not all like touching each other at like a, a desert party tripping on acid. This is not yeah. how life looks. In, in America, 
in the world, in our cities. We wake up, you know, there's coffee, there's work, there's uh, families, there's difficulties, there's showers. I mean, there's so many things that happen in a day that have nothing to do with that feeling of like, oh, you know, it's all one. We're all one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And to me, that is inside of that struggle is where we build relationships and find true love. And Mm. we also are always on the precipice of death. I used to think that was really scary. Like I was like, I really could die at any minute. And because my whole family had died, Sans, my brother, who's very much alive and living in Montreal, like other than my brother, like everyone dropped dead, including my child. And so I was like very much afraid. Like when I would get on a subway platform, I always thought someone was going to shoot me or I thought someone was going to push me on the tracks. I thought um, whenever I would like touch my breast, I was like, oh my God, I have breast cancer. Like I just yeah. was so afraid because I had seen how quickly and how without any warning people just disappear and never to return again. And so I was like, this is scary. And what I have concluded and where I live now is I've been dying from the moment that I was born. Like the moment Biet was born, she already um, was in a state of her death, right? And so this is just gets a little metaphysical, so stay with me here. Okay. But the, the idea is this, like if you really do something spiritual, like if you do something that's really hard for you, like whatever it is, facing your biggest dreams, pursuing your wildest dreams or you know, workouts that are really painful or eating in a state of presence or uh, I'm trying to think of some other hard or stopping drinking, right? If you do something that like requires like a, what is this? Like this is a massive change, right? There's a feeling that comes where you feel like very, very, very alive in those moments. But you also feel like you're almost going to die. Do you know what I mean? Because it's so hard. You're like, I didn't know it could get this hard. And to me, that's kind of what death is. It's like we've been dying since we were born. And so people who are willing to get connected to that feeling of pain and grief and loss, which is what our death really is, it's all of those beautiful things, um, You then we pursue a life that feels like death in the sense that we're doing things that constantly push us towards that feeling. Oh my gosh. I mean, that feels like such, it feels like such a surrendered place to live. Like immediately when I hear you say all that, I'm like, what? How in the world (laughs) could you come at life from that perspective? Mm. How did you get there? A lot of pain and a lot of trying to like hold on to to life and and also like unwillingness. Like I love my husband. I I have a baby now. She's two. And the love that I feel for them and the love that I feel for like the beautiful homes that we live in and the, the great, you know, five-star hotels that I, you know, partner with and like my beautiful life and my gorgeous body. I just, the more I got tuned into what was really going on, I could feel that there was a horror inside of all of that. There was Mm -hmm. like a literal horror of like, this is all very fragile and could end at any minute. And I wasn't willing to live like that anymore. So I had to start seeing the unity in those things. If I kept seeing those things as dangerous or like risky and separate, I was not going to be able to melt and really appreciate these moments because that's all we have is the present moment. Right. That is so true because I, 
I have myself faced a lot of loss in my life and I feel like I've become this hyper vigilant version of myself because of that. Like when I'm, you know, in my, within my relationship, for instance, I'm deeply in love with my boyfriend and that panics me versus, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, instead of feeling like sometimes I can just fully lean into it, I'll go, Oh my God, but this is wrong. And this isn't perfect. And like he does this and that could mean this, or I did this in this relationship. So that could mean that. And you know, like I overanalyze all of it in some aspects because I'm so scared of losing it. What did you do with your grief? Like, where is your grief now? Does it sneak up on you still? Hell no. I have a practice. So I do 30 seconds of grief meditation every day. Okay. And it's very, very helpful. And um, my friend Cassie taught it to me. It's really beautiful. It just like helps you to experience grief. And there's this, there's this famous rabbi who said, if you don't experience like 10 minutes of deep pain and sorrow for the world's like pain every mm-hmm, day, mm-hmm. then it'll creep, like you said, creep up on you when it feels like creeping up on mm. you. And um, an intentional grief practice allows me to not pretend like I didn't have a life like the one I had and also be connected to what's coming in the sense that I'm going to die. My husband's going to die. My daughter's going to die. I mean, I'm pretty sure she's going to die after me. But that doesn't fucking matter for anyone out right. there who has kids. Like, it's horrifying to think that they're yeah. going to ever die. Or like, yeah. this beautiful baby, like, cannot die. And so, you know, I just sit with those feelings. And um, and the grief also about the things that I, can't, I cannot change. Because I cannot change what's been happening in our country for the last four years. I cannot change the fact that I have cellulite. I cannot change that I haven't won a Grammy yet. Yeah. I just can't change those things. And those things are can make me grief stricken if I don't practice grief as a beautiful opportunity. Grief mm. is an opportunity. I don't need to I don't need to be afraid of it or ward it off, you know? Oh, I love that. Let's talk about life now because you mentioned um, you don't have a Grammy yet and you this was another part of the loss of maybe the beginning stages of your life is you are a musician, as you said, and you had a record deal very early on and lost that record deal. Did you feel like when you got the deal, were you like, this is it? Here I go. I am complete. Life is happening. Yeah, I, de- I definitely <laughs> did think that for sure. And what did what actually happened? I turned into a junkie and yeah. ended, I ended up like losing the record deal. I ended up like traveling the country by myself, shaving my head and selling CDs out of my book bag and like falling in love in every state that I lived in. (laughs) Um, Most especially San Francisco. That was really where I really got my heart broken. But Mm. I was just so in love and so lost. So, so, so lost. Mm. And, you know, it was just the beginning, you know, and I'm really grateful. I'm grateful that I've been wrong so many times because I think that being wrong is the most painful feeling we have. And it's kind of like, whenever I'm in pain now, um, which happens, you know, periodically, I'm very like, blessed with the beauty of pain, making its return over and over again in my life and constantly re rebirthing me. But like, as pain comes today, I'm just like, okay, (laughs) where am I wrong? (laughs) Like, what, what am I miss? What am I not seeing properly because I know that when I'm in a state of alignment, there is no pain. Mm-hmm. Pain isn't actually a thing that is included in alignment. However, it is included in the earth experience. It's, it's here for a reason. And I think it's a cue that we're just off. 
it's like, eh, eh, you know, operation where you used to like remove organs from that little yep. body. And it was like, when you touch to the, the wall. side, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like pain. It's like, no, it's in there. You can't touch the edge. Like, this is how it works. And it can, you know, it can feel never ending. But I, I just feel so grateful. I feel so grateful for it. Well, so explain to people how music is now tied into what you do with your meditation practices and all of the other guide guiding that you do with your clients. So I, I have a record out and I'm about to release a new record, which is, it's a slow coming because of 2020. My producers like trapped in quarantine, with two children. <laughs> <Right>. but, <laughs> um, but yeah, whatever. So the record's going to come out when it comes out. But I just, what I do is I put on these huge mass experiences, um, with thousands of people all over the world. I get commissioned to do, or I do on my own and they're branded and they're, everyone is coming together to meditate and I score the events with my own music as well as perform the music live. And generally speaking, my events are, you know, 50% of the audience will be weeping by the end of the experience. Mm. So it's really like a culmination of culture, music, meditation, and rock and roll. And it has this energy of it's okay to bring those things together. Cause I had a real like chip on my shoulder would be one example, but I just, I hated the way rock shows felt. I don't understand why everyone's standing. I don't understand why everyone's drunk. I don't understand why everyone's hitting themselves over with Budweiser cans and like tripping on <laughs> things. And, and it's just terrible. And I believe that, you know, in my lifetime, there could be a future where rock and roll experiences can be held with much more respect. And to me, what that looked like was incorporating meditation, eye gazing, and, and a, pre a state of presence. Like as if your state of presence was what gave you the, uh, not worthiness, but like the entry fee to actually hear the music. Okay, yeah. we'll play the, okay, fuck you, we'll play the music for you once you sit the fuck down and get into a present state because mm. that's where your soul is gonna, who's the music for? Is it for like your drunken body or is it for your soul? Because if it's for your soul, then you gotta do a couple things to get into a state where your soul can even eat some of this music. So when you do these events, are people meditating collectively and oh, you're yeah. doing music? Yeah, but the way I guide meditations is very rock and roll. So there's a lot of screaming. There's breath mm. work. People are fainting. Like people are crying. People are eye gazing. Like it, people are punching in the air, shaking their hands, jumping. Like it's not all just sit, sitting there pretending to be zen. I actually love that. One of the biggest battles I have had with meditation is that sometimes my insides feel like they just want to scream out. Like I, when I get still, it's when I need to get the emotions out of my body, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's not for everyone. And yeah. the truth is, is, as you become a skilled meditator, you can incorporate that kind of meditation, mm -hmm. too, because mm -hmm. you're no longer resistant. But for some of us, we have to go through the moving center to get to that place. And we have to be cognizant of that. Not everyone learns the same way. Not everyone uh, wants to sit in like a strict pose right. for an hour, right. you know, of not moving at all. Not That's not for everyone. Yeah, that's actually been um, kind of the journey I've been on the past six months as, you know, because every spiritual teacher that I speak to says meditation, meditate, 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 you know, like that is the way to find a spiritual connection for some spiritual awakening to find peace to turn it over all of those things and um i've had to really figure out what type of meditation and what kind of practice works for me because what works for me isn't necessarily what 
have been told or like taught or what I see other people doing. I just, it does not register for me. Yes. You have a book called Don't Just Sit There. Can you tell us about the book? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it pretty much encapsulates what you're saying, which is that it it gives people a different form of meditation Mm -hmm. and um, it breaks down. It's very much like a tarot deck in the sense that you can really turn to any page and there's laws and each law will unravel something for you. So as you read the law, you see how it applies in your life and then you become free from it by observing how it's kind of uh, crippling you in your life. And it gives you exercises. So each chapter gives you a law, shows you how it's fucking with you like a cat with a mouse. And then it gives you tools to kind of unfuck yourself in those categories. And, um, and yeah, I, I think the book is, it's very simple. It's funny. And it, it also has some stories from my insane life, which I think is important because I feel like people soften when they hear a human, you know, mm-hmm. like why, why would you turn to one spiritual teacher versus another? Because they make you relax because you feel like they, he- they see you in a way that you haven't been able to see yourself yet. And that, that is what a spiritual teacher does. They like see you into you seeing yourself. Wow. Do you feel like you are fully living in line with your purpose? Yeah, I think so. I think that it's hard because I'm a really ambitious um, person. And so like I have dreams upon dreams that mm. are even, you know, higher. And I think that's that's normal. Um, I used to think, oh, well, then maybe I'm um, not yet. <laughs> because yeah. like then I'd have that evidence and that evidence and I'd have like, you know, fucking tennis courts or whatever. Like, I don't know like what it is I think would happen that would finally prove that I am living in my purpose. But I think that um, not only am I living in my purpose, but I think I was living in my purpose when I was three. Yeah. And, you know, like I don't have to do anything to prove that to the world. And that's different. You know, do you can you look back at the struggles, the loss of the record deal, for instance, and now obviously you tying your music into this meditation in a, in a way that I've never seen before and is very inventive and new do you feel very satisfied in that going, no, see, that wasn't the right path. And here I am now able to expose something completely new, exciting and helpful to people. Does that feel like, do you find a lot of contentment within that? Oh yeah. I don't regret anything. Like every mistake, every horrible, like everyone I ever had sex with, every terrible relationship, every, the failure I've ever had. I'm so like stoked because it got (laughs) you to the place you are now. Yeah. And also like this, it's a, it's happening now too. You know, like I remember like a year or two ago I had this gig. I was going to do this huge mass meditation for like, I don't know, 10,000 people at Madison square garden. It was this huge deal and I was getting paid for it. It was a big thing. It was really it felt like a, the next step of my career, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And I knew something was off. I was like, these people are going to, something's off. Like they're going to drop the ball on this, you know? And I remember I was in LA, which the event was obviously in New York. And I was about to go back to New York to do the event. And it was two weeks before the event. And I was in LA doing some work stuff, some podcasts, whatever. And I got the email that they were canceling me mm-hmm. <laughs> from the event. And I just... I was in such a state of, you know, it, like I was in the enlightenment part of the enlightenment wheel. I wasn't in the achievement or humility part. Uh-huh. I was in the enlightenment part. And I was like, 
that's fine. Like cancel me because I know this is, I could feel it breaking my heart. Like I could feel like my dreams being crushed and like the pain, but because I was in a state of enlightenment while that was happening, mm. I was like, Oh wow. The crushing of my dreams. Like, what a powerful force. Like I was into it almost. I was like, yeah, do it, break it, break my heart, you know? And then uh, I emailed them some crazy email that was like, I am so grateful that you are canceling me because I've never wanted anything more than to do this event. And the fact that you are breaking my heart like this is only evidence that I'm on my way to fulfilling my life's dream. And if not now, then soon. I would love to see their response. (laughs) They were like, we've never met anyone as like dignified and amazing as you. Thank you for being so understanding. They were like, you're so touched that you're so, and I was like, and if anything changes, like, please let me know. I will be ready and I'll be on the next plane to New York City to do my job. Like, I was so like, I was just, and then I was walking around LA, like looking at the cactuses and the palm trees, like tripping, you know, like literally tripping because to face life's tragedies and like downfalls now, not like, oh, 10 years ago when I lost my record, you know, record deal and that sucked. And now I get, and now I get it because I have this amazing career. Not then, but to have that recognition boom, like right today when you're having the pain mm-hmm. happen. That's kind of a trippy thing. I love that you have found the success you have now. And I was reading a bunch of stuff on your, um, I think this was your website as well, but you, and I saw it in another article you had done where you talk about the relationship with women and money. And I think that that is such an important conversation. I loved what you said. Can you answer the question, what should women know about money? Mm. Did I, did I answer that or you did you did answer that but I want to know I want you to tell the listeners the parts that you said I, I saw this on your website it was in a oh, video yeah I remember yeah I remember they asked you that charging charging your worth you exactly. know and just kind of mm-hmm. you know I think that women have a hard time they're always like it's very common for women to say hey I cost you know this amount of thousands of dollars right and then be like, but if you don't have that, yes. like I'm willing to negotiate and also like we can work something out and please don't worry. And it's kind of like, what? Like, what was a, what was all that bullshit you just said after you named your price? Like, it's just a price. It doesn't mean anything. Like, calm down, take a breath, say the number and call it a day. And if they want it, they'll pay for that. Right. You know? Well, I think that's hard a lot in a creative field. And, and also, like, the, I loved just the idea of analyzing from a spiritual perspective the shame we might put around monetizing our gifts or the things that we do, um, our spiritual practices, you know, like the tie there where you might go, oh, but am I using this for the right reasons? Or is it okay to ask for a fee for these services because I'm actually just helping people and things like that. And I had never thought about it that way until I read what you were saying about it. Hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. Well, the book is called don't just sit there. Um, you can also find your music everywhere. And I actually saw that on your website, you have um, some meditations with your music as well. Where else can people find you? I think Instagram is a really great place to find me. Um, I'm at guided by Viet. And I, you know, there's places, I think the book is also like a super, like just having that it's a handbook for life. 
And and you can read it forever because it's just 44 laws and you can just read them over and over again because the, the, the good and bad news is that the laws never really stop operating. Yeah. Like I could read my own book now and be like, oh, girl, you should take that advice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'd still be, and even though it's my advice, like I'd be <laughs> like, oh, that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> what is your Instagram handle? It's guided by Biet. Yes. And it's B I E T for anyone listening. What is the um what is your website? It's guidedbybiet.com. Guidedbybiet.com. The book is again, don't just sit there. I'm actually gonna go order it right now. <laughs> um, it sounds very helpful. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with all of us today. Thanks so much. Such such a joy being together. I just adore you same we will have to do this again you guys go check out the book don't just sit there and you can find Biet on Instagram at guided by Biet there's lots of helpful insights there and just uh, quotes things to get you through the day I've really enjoyed following you thank you again and thank you guys for listening this is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride with some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.